one day when we were paying out, a small man with a grey face came in front of us and he said through the bars, I must have some money. I have nothing. I'm hungry. I can't go on anymore. We had no money to give him. His name wasn't on the list in front of us. So there was nothing we could do for him. He went away and four days later, his body was taken out of the river. Do you think they get enough money? Too much. Why is that? Well, I'm an employer myself, and some of my fellows don't bother coming in at all because they can live on what they get. No, I don't think so. I think they should get less money and be made work. I don't think they're too badly off at all because they don't seem to want to work. There are an awful lot who are getting assistance that shouldn't be on it at all. They have things going on the side and are doing very well. A lot of our spongers, as soon as they get their money, they go into the nearest pub. But um, this sort of thing should be discouraged. That's why I don't think they should get any more. The typical labour exchange is not a place that affords its customers much dignity. The buildings, without exception, are run down and have been for a long time. There are few visible friendships between the people who come here. I inquired from the unemployed, what they had to say to the claim that many of them were spongers. It's unemployment benefit, I, th I think you're entitled to it. I mean, you've paid your stamps, you're entitled to it, as long as you're not just um, doing it uh, without looking for a job. I'm unemployed now the last, for the last uh, six years, and I don't get a penny from the library, you know. My man doesn't work and he'll get money he wants, you know. I don't get a penny, you know. That's where they put you down and make the... And they like to feel, feel, feel it's their, their money they're giving you, you know? You can't get a job, you can't get a job. For what you get, you couldn't be a sponger. For what you get, it's really only your own money back for what you paid in on the uh, stamps. In the society we live in, which is capitalist, there's going to be unemployed people. And if that's the case, then they have to be looked after. You know? What would you say to people who say that people who are getting unemployment benefit or spongers? Well, I wouldn't agree with that at all, because I haven't been in there Friday and that. I was just recently knocked off myself, you know, and I, I wouldn't agree with that at all. I used to think that way before I got, before I got knocked off, but now when I'm knocked off, I think the other way, you know. If getting unemployment assistance is sponging, then it means that these people are not looking for work. But I got a different message when I asked what it was like looking for work at the moment. It's impossible. You have to go to loads of places, dozens of places, and you can't get a job. It's terrible, the risk. It really is. There's no work anywhere. It's very hard to get work at the moment. Right? Um, it's very difficult. Uh, every place that you go to, the other. You say if you went to tech, the other one, you say leave insert for, you say, petrol attendance, things like this. Like, it's ridiculous. Two weeks ago, ending the 3rd of November, there were 96,300 people who signed on as unemployed in employment exchanges around the country. I want to take that 96,000 now and break it up according to how much uh, these people were paid. 
The first point to make is that nearly 6,000 of these people were signing on and they weren't claiming any money at all. They were signing on for credits or they were signing on for other reasons. So of that 96,000, there were nearly 6,000 who signed on but didn't get paid any money and indeed didn't even claim it. Another large category, indeed almost half the numbers on the register, almost 48,000 of them, signed on during that week and they claimed unemployment assistance. And the most they could have got at the following rates for a single man, the most he could have got was £11.75 a week. For a married man with a wife and two children, the most was £27.60 a week. And for a married man with a wife and six children, the most was £39.60 a week. I say the most, and that's important because these are the maximum rates available. A lot of the 48,000 or so who signed on and claimed assistance would have got money, uh, would have got an amount a good deal less than these rates have set out. If uh, a young person, or not indeed always a young person, is living at home, living with parents or living with relations, this factor is taken into account. And depending on the household, uh, this what they call benefit of board and lodgings, could be assessed at, say, £10 a week. A person could end up getting a pound or almost nothing at all because they were living with relations. This is regarded as means. In all, in that week, there were uh, just 43,000 people on the register. That's less than half the number of people on the register who were claiming unemployment benefit and, indeed, hoping that pay-related benefit would go with it. So there were 43,000 people claiming benefit. And the maximum flat rate benefit they could have got was for a single man, £14.35 pence a week, for a husband, wife and two children, £32 a week, and for a husband, wife and six children, it would be £45.60 a week. Now some of this 43,000 would also have got pay-related on top of these rates. But, and this is an important point because many people think otherwise, Pay-related is paid to only a small proportion of people on the register. I haven't got the up-to-date figures for this week, but one could estimate that perhaps 18,000, 19,000 of people on the register. In other words, about one person in six on the register actually got pay-related. How long does pay-related benefit last for Unemployment benefit, which is you know, the higher rate, and pay-related benefit, which sometimes goes with it. These normally last for a maximum of 15 months. Uh, if you're over 65, it will last longer. If you're a married woman, it will last for only six months. But normally, normally uh, unemployment benefit and pay-related benefit last for a maximum of 15 months. After that, the person goes on to the rates of assistance, which I quoted first. So that, in other words, after 15 months on, on the dole, their income will diminish considerably to the kind of assistance rates. And there are nine children in our family, and I suppose we call the working class family. Um, I'd always wanted to be a secondary teacher, and in 1968, when the government introduced free education, I decided that I now had the opportunity to go ahead and pursue my career. In 1973, I managed to get the necessary requirements to go to university. For the five years while I was at Trinity, I had to work um, for very little, doing very menial jobs. What type of jobs were you doing? I worked as a barmaid, waitress, chambermaid, um, 
anything at all that I could get. And most of the time I was working in the evenings, so if my lectures finished at five, I had to go straight to whichever pub I was working in and to then come home in the evening and perhaps try and catch up on my terms work. So I couldn't say that um, I led an idyllic sort of student life. When I got my degree, I really felt that I was almost on the way to fulfilling my ambition. I was even lucky enough to get in to do the High Diploma in Education in Trinity last year and thought that when I received it in June 1978 that everything was ready and that I was about to embark on my career as a teacher. But unfortunately things haven't turned out that way. I've written to I'd say, approximately 50 schools and most of them have written back in very nice letters but they tell me that they can't increase the numbers on their staff and therefore that even though they would like to give me a job the government won't allow them to do so. How many of the people who did the higher diploma in education have now got full-time jobs as, as teachers? Well, from what I know, I would say about a third of them have got full-time employment, but that was because they went back home, they lived down the country where there were more opportunities. For those of us who live in Dublin or in the suburbs, unfortunately there's no opportunity at and all. Would you not be willing to travel down the country to work in a secondary school? Yes, indeed. I've applied to jobs in Waterford, Donegal, Cork, any place I don't really mind. I wanted to become a teacher. I think I've worked hard enough and um, I'm willing to go any place. And what do you think of facing the prospect of being an unemployed teacher for the next few years? Well, I find it really psychologically sort of degrading. I mean, after all, I worked hard and I think that the least I deserve is the chance or the opportunity to work. I know I'm qualified enough, I'm quite capable. And um, I don't particularly want to draw the dough. I want to teach. It's, always, it's what I've always wanted to do. Surely you should have known before you went on to do your higher diploma in education that there were not going to be enough jobs for teachers. Would it not be true to say that there are too many teachers in Ireland today? I think it's quite the contrary. I think most people realise that when the boom in education began in the 1950s and we realised that we were entering a new technological age age that um, there was going to be a greater demand for teachers and for qualified personnel and the secondary schools introduced free education uh, the government introduced a grant system whereby more people could go on because what each country every European country wanted was an educated population but now we find the government is backtracking on its promises and instead of continuing the expansion begun in the 50s um, the last green paper has said that they're going to cut down on teacher training facilities, yet we weren't told this when we began. I mean, if I'd have known that in 1973, I don't think I would have um, bothered to train as a teacher. When I was 15 years of age, I went for interviews in RTE, Aer Lingus, and have letters to say that I had a job, which I gave up just to go and get a trade, which at that time I thought was a very good idea. Now, after all this now, well, do you think I like sitting in the house all day and writing letters looking for jobs? What type of sacrifices did you have to make within the family? In the family, well, I come from a large family and I had to go on small money. It was very small, it was half the amount you'd get anywhere else. I had a job at that time in a clothing trade for 
as I had my intercept, at that time jobs were easy to come by. And I got word that I could take an apprenticeship. And the whole family thought that was great to get a trade, you know. A trade was fantastic to take up. And the day I came out of my time, they didn't even give a week, a month. The day I came out of my time, I was let go by my employer. And he told me there was no work, but I found out a few weeks later that he had taken on three apprentices, which means they take on three apprentices because their wages only add up to what I would have got as a qualified firm. And uh, what did you do then? Were you unemployed for some time? I was unemployed for nearly six months before I took on a job as a welder fabricator. And in that six months, did you try to get jobs as a fitter turner? Oh, I wrote many places, many of the big firms. So when you go to look for other work, what does the employer think of? Yeah, well, when I, I have gone for an awful lot of interviews or other types of work, but straight away when you say you're a tradesman, they ask you, well, what are you doing looking for a job or this type of work, whichever type you're looking for? And they think you're just taking that for the time being until you get a job at your trade. You know? You're going to walk out in the money time. After your six months on un unemployment, what happened then? I got a job as a welder fabricator, which is not my trade, but I just had to go on it for two months. And then what happened? And then I f was found out that I wasn't a welder. And I had to be let go. So then you went back to look for a job as a fitter-turner, did you? Then I went back, yeah, to look for a job. And how long were you unemployed then? I was out then for nearly eight months. And what was it like when you were unemployed? What was it like putting in a days? Oh, it was terrible altogether. Get bored stiff all day, you know. The usual thing was to go down to manpower and stand around manpower, looking around, waiting, chasing after jobs that came in. But in the afternoon then you'd, unless write letters, which you get sick of altogether. The employers say that there are a lot of skilled jobs available and that anybody who's skilled should be able to get a job. That's ridiculous altogether. Offhand I could name 20 to 30 young lads like myself who can't get jobs and are day and night looking for them. All hours of the morning writing letters I suppose and still can't get jobs. So you don't yeah. think that there are a lot of skilled jobs around? Not at all. There's a lot of skilled men. There's not enough skilled jobs for them. I'm 39 years of age and married with five children. I began work when I was 12 years of age never suffered any unemployment until I was in my 20s and then only for a very brief period of time. I went away to England, was married there, lived there for six years and was never unemployed other than moving from one job to another. I came back here in 69 and since then I've had a fair share of unemployment with jobs in between but always of a temporary nature. I've been looking for constantly, continuously, although the incentive to keep trying disappears after a while. Nevertheless, a, a, a spasmodic thing, you become disillusioned. But you try again. And how do you find living on 
the unemployment benefit? Well, you just about exist on unemployment benefit. There's no way you live a life of luxury or anything like that. With a wife and five children on unemployment assistance, the rate is £35 odd, and that's, you know, you're not going to do fantastic things in that. So, some people would call you a responder. What would you say to them? Well, quite honestly, I know many unemployed people, and to call them spongers, I suppose it, it's the motive type of thing that is dreamed up by, I don't know, media people such as yourself, perhaps. But uh, it's far from being true. There are many, many spongers in our society. I doubt very much of the people at the very bottom of the social ladder are spongers. For a start, they don't have sufficient money to to perhaps be to have a motivation for sponging. Whereas the entrepreneur, the, the professional who fiddles his tax accounts or whatever, these people have a great motivation because there are riches in their dishonesty. For the unemployed, there are no such riches. riches. The so-called sponger, if he exists, I don't believe he does, but if he exists, then he's living a very precarious existence. What's it like being unemployed in your relationship with your wife and your kids? It has to cause tensions, dissensions in any family. In mine, perhaps less than most. But I know of many, many other marriages that are threatened, that have gone on the rocks because of prolonged periods of unemployment. And the periods then when I was unemployed, a day was a, an endless period of time. Nothing at the beginning of it, nothing at the end of it. And sort of stretching on into similar days. So, you know, unemployment is a soul-destroying sort of could you not go out and help yourself and start up your own means of earning a living? Well, the, you know, the, there are two aspects of that. First one is that the unemployed are not in any way encouraged to do this type of thing. I mean, the sponges issue is one side of it because an unemployed man works for one day, then he is in trouble. He's presented with all sorts of forms in the labour exchange which he must fill out and he'll be scrutinised more closely in the future. The second point is that, you know, when you have no capital, how the hell are you supposed to start any form of business? Is there any form of business in which you can begin from a base of nothing? But the, the idea of unemployed people who are really and truly down on the ground, achieving this sort of economic miracle, is nonsensical. They can't. They can't because they have no means of achieving it. The unemployed would be a damn sight happier, I should imagine, if the government were to take some possible steps to create employment, secure, long-lasting employment, rather than the sort of the total dependence on, you say, the captains of industry at the moment, that everything depends on their goodwill. Where could the government provide these jobs? Well, I'm not an economist, so perhaps I'm the wrong person to answer that question. But I should imagine that there are many areas in which the government could, could provide those jobs. It, perhaps uh, Fianna Fáil itself in its election manifesto was talking about community activity. You know, that's probably a non-productive form of employment. Nevertheless, it is something that they, they failed to do. Or if they did do it, it was only in areas where government ministers were seeking, we say, or were paying back their supporters. But I suppose all of us at the moment are would be aware that there are natural resources that are being sort of disgracefully 
underutilized. Perhaps uh, that is an area in which government could provide the jobs. Do you think that the unemployed people in this country have an effective voice to represent their interests? No, the unemployed have no voice whatsoever. I mean, the unemployed is perhaps the, the Spongers campaign would clearly show are sort of the Irish untouchables, probably even more so than perhaps another minority group like the, the itinerant. But the itinerant at least has a, a campaign working in its favour. The unemployed have they have no effective organisation, they have no spokesman. The unemployed have been intimidated now in a way perhaps that I never experienced, although I believe it did happen way back in the 30s. People on unemployment benefit and assistance are getting forms from the Labour Exchange. And those forms are stating that they have that their entitlement to unemployment assistance or benefit will be reviewed in four weeks' time. That in the interim period they had better have signed letters from employers stating that they have looked for work and it hasn't been available. Now of course that is a it's a sort of a, a hopeless situation for an unemployed man to be in because very few employers will in fact, especially on building sites and so forth, general foremen on building sites are not going to give you signed letters. To have them perhaps wouldn't be able to. But for the for the unemployed and he the unemployed man, he's put in a situation where he's dealing with a bureaucracy, a bureaucracy that's only concerned about the the evidence that they can see before them. No good in him going in and saying, well, I went to this factory and I went to that factory and I went to the other factory. What they want is the, the signed letter. If the man doesn't get the letter from the factory, well, then that's just too bad. And he will be arbitrarily cut off from, um, from assistance. And for him, that means one hell of a problem in his domestic life. Well, when a man came into the employment exchange, he was an ordinary working man, full of hope. He said, I'm not going to be here long. I'll get a job, and if I won't get a job, I'll go across the water to England. But after a month, if he was still there, then he said, the wife doesn't want me to go. I'm having problems at home. And you noticed him, if it went on to two, three months, you notice the old shoulders dropping. The hope seemed to be seeping out of his eyes. He's, he was a bit down at heel. You noticed him getting shabbier as the time went on. And he wasn't getting a job. You were quite conscious that he was looking for work and failing. He was feeling a failure. He'd, he'd say, miss any jobs today, and you'd send him round at that time, now it's, it's over to manpower, but at that time you'd send him round to labour control where he asked, these men went round every week, some of them went round asking if there were any jobs. If you had anyone that was suitable, you would send him out, you would give him a green card and send him out for interview. Most of those who were unemployed wanted to work. The number there would be a number of those who didn't, but they would be about the same number as at work were dodgers anyway, about the 5% or less. What would you say to claims that the people who work in um, unemployment exchanges 
are insensitive to the applicants for unemployment. When, you're, when you work in an employment exchange, you're operating a set of rules and regulations. And as a civil servant, you have to operate those rules. I think the rules, when they were changed in the 50s, all the disallowance factors were kept. And this is the basic problem. In, I know that you can't, when you're giving out money, you have to have rules and regulations. You know, you, you can't just dole it out to people. But for all that, unemployed people must be treated as a potential labour force, not as people who are deliberately malingering. Have you had much experience of people who would have been dealing with you in the unemployment exchange coming along one Thursday morning and saying, I'm off to England. Yes, you did. And what was it like for these people as you saw it? It was the last straw when they went to England. Things had got impossible. They couldn't stand being idle any longer. So even though they were breaking up their family, leaving their wife, leaving their kids at home, which is no way to... Uh, emigration is, is no way to solve our unemployment problem. The journey of the emigrant, forced to leave the security of friends and family, is a common Irish experience. In spite of our rich endowment of natural resources, we have never been able to provide an adequate means of subsistence for all our people. Since the last war, we have exported nearly three quarters of a million of our people. That's one out of every four people born here. The economic boom of the 60s and early 70s put a halt to emigration. But last year, over 10,000 people were forced to leave. And it's the young and active, the productive, who chose to go. Eight out of 10 of our recent emigrants have been under 25. This way now for Hollyhead now. Second class this way now. Second class this way now for Hollyhead. family in England with you? Oh, they're back in Ireland. What's it like for somebody like you who has to leave and work away from your family? Well, it's pretty tough, like, you know what I mean? It's one of those things that you have got to do, like, you know what I mean? Is this because of the unemployment situation at home? Yeah, that's one of them, yeah. It's working very bad in Ireland at the present moment, like, you know, that's why they come over here, like, you know. And uh, you'll send back money to your family? Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, every week, yeah. Are there many people with you on the job who are from Ireland who have families back at home? Well, most of them. Have you any children? Five. So you must miss seeing your children growing up? Well, it's one of those things. I keep going back and forth, like, you know. Do they ever come over to visit you? No, they're very, they're young, like, you know, they don't come over. Okay. <laughs> 
Many first-time emigrants arriving at London's Euston Station go to the Irish Centre in Camden Town, where social workers provide advice on jobs and accommodation. We seem to be particularly busy at this time of the year, you know, for the sort of autumn now when you expect uh, um, the influx to have slackened off. We are busier than we are at this time of the year mostly. So, so this year you find that there are more people coming than last year? Yes, there are more people coming, definitely. And what type of people would you have coming here? Would they be young people, school leavers? The biggest number come in the age range of 18 to 30. And um, yes, a good number of them school leavers. Um, a good number recently with leaving certs and intercerts coming to start afresh. The majority of newly arrived emigrants who come to the centre are looking initially at any rate for help with employment and also accommodation. Many of them have other problems besides these two, but these are largely the presenting problems on arrival. What has been your experience in the last two years vis-à-vis -vis the people who are coming here without jobs? Well, I can't say offhand uh, totally for the past two years, but for example, in the last month, 32% of our newly arrived emigrants from Ireland were unemployed and had been unemployed for a considerable period of time before they left Ireland. Um, this, I would say, is an under rather than an overestimate of the exact number, because a number of people arriving like to feel successful on arrival and won't let us know that they have been unemployed prior to leaving Ireland. But 32 of the people, or 32% of the people last month told us that they were unemployed and that was their chief reason for having to leave Ireland. And you think there has been an increase in unemployment and resultant immigration in the last year or so? Well, certainly we've been very busy here. I am standing here right in the middle of the Irish emigrant districts of North London. The Irish presence here strikes the eye in many different ways. The newsstands are carrying today's editions of the Irish Press, the Irish Times and even the Irish Post, the emigrants' own London newspaper. If one goes into a pub, one can hear Irish accents from places like Clare, Cork and, of course, Dublin. But most of all, the Irish presence is seen in the many employment agencies that are situated right up and down this street. I call into one of these agencies called the Rex Employment Bureau, where I spoke to Mrs. Henderson, who told me about the many Irish people she has coming to her agency looking for work. There are always a great number of people coming from Ireland to work here. Um, I think the reason that they choose this particular area of London, that's um, the North, North 7, North 19 area, uh, is because there is already an established community of Irish people here. Um, it certainly can't be that they have any foreknowledge of um, there being a lot of jobs here, because there certainly aren't. And what about the type of people you get age-wise? Are they young or old? Yes, they're usually young. Um, I, don't think, I don't think they'd go much beyond, say, uh, the middle twenties as a whole. Um, most of the people that we get are in fact school leavers, some without any office or, or indeed any sort of experience at all. So would these people have a, a work record behind them in Ireland? Well no, on the whole not. I'm Declan McNeil, aged 21, I'm from Innescrown, County Sligo, and I work as a technical clerk.
with a petrochemical firm in Paddington. Could you tell me a little bit about life in London? Well, if you come over here first on your own, usually you have to contend with a lot of uh, loneliness due to the fact you're in a big city and that it isn't a very friendly city, as most English people will say too. And that uh, it is based mainly on how hard and how well you can work. And it takes a long time to get to know people and get to meet people, get you make your way around. And that there, you have to depend on yourself. There's no one else that you can turn to. Whereas in Ireland, people are more friendlier. My name's Brendan Myler. I'm from Dunleary. I'm 25. Uh, I'm over here five weeks. I think it's pretty good. No? And what are you working at? Uh, at the moment, I'm on the buildings. And how do you find us here in London? I think it's great, again, like if you've, if you've company. But if you're on your own, you're gone. You won't last very long here, you know. But you want to come over with money. If with you... some sort of money, anyway. So you have no plans to go back and try and get a job at all? No, I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever go back now. Prior just for holidays. For somebody arriving here who can't find a job, what type of support will the state give them compared to Ireland? Well, I'd say, I mean, the first day we arrived here, we went into the Labour Exchange, more so looking for work, not money, work, you know? And they told us that if we couldn't find work within seven days, to go back to them. And like that, if we were out in the street, to come into a place like this, and they'd look after you. I mean, they wouldn't put you out. And would they give you more money than you'd get at home? Yes, do you, do you get about, we'd say, let's say, it's about twice the money that you get at home, plus you get an allowance towards a flat, or some, some sort of digs. My name is Jerry Darcy, and I've been here um, four weeks now. And um, I've just finished my apprenticeship in hairdressing. And uh, I found it hard for the first two weeks to get a job in hairdressing, but I finally got it. And um, the money isn't too good, but I seem to be able to survive in it. Uh, the money at home is ridiculous, so that's the reason I left. And uh, How much were you getting at home? Uh, I was only getting um, 25 at home. And what are you getting here? And I'm getting um, 45 here plus commission. So I usually come out with 55. Uh, I'm John Neary, 19, from Mayo. Working on the building site. Came over here about two years ago. How do you find it? I find this country better than, better than Ireland at any stage. When I was working in Ireland, I was getting my highest wage was £18 a week. I came over here and got straight into 50 I couldn't get a rise nowhere near that in Ireland. We've had a situation in the last two years where the recovery in terms of the growth of output and income from the recession has been very, very dramatic and sharp two years of relatively very satisfactory growth, relatively unprecedented expansion by Irish standards. Yet unemployment has remained very high. Um, depending on which index you use, it's been in the region of 9 or 10%. It hasn't dropped below that, and it doesn't look like dropping below that now that the growth is tending to slow down. So you've had a very large number of people in the region of 100,000 registered as unemployed, and most of them, I assume, are, are looking for work. At the same time, you've had definite shortages of certain skills, and they're not that isolated, the instances that one can quote. They range all the way from the skilled building trades, 
in an industry where the unskilled workers are very numerous, the, the numbers are out of work, unskilled workers out of work in building and construction loom very large in the overall total. But yet everyone knows it's very difficult to get an electrician, a bricklayer, a carpenter, or anyone with specific skills in this sector. Turning to the industrial sector, um, the new industrial factories and projects that are being brought in by the IDA are well known to experience difficulties, especially when they locate in rural areas, which on paper appear to have high unemployment rates. But when you look for the computer programmer or the tool maker or the fitter or the electrician to build the factory to run it when it's built, you have difficulty recruiting, even though the total numbers out of work are very high. Now, in the course of making this program, I have met a number of young apprentices who have just come out of their time, who are unemployed. And in each case, they have told me that their employer let them go the minute they came out of their apprenticeship and took in other apprenticeships because it was cheaper yeah. to pay an apprentice than to pay this, the craftsman. Well, this, in a way, is relating back to the poverty trap that you were talking about earlier. If the system of um, labour subsidies that exist, training grants and so on, give an employer that sort of incentive, he's behaving rationally in doing that. If he can meet his labour requirements at lower costs by using a, a high turnover of apprentices rather than keep keeping, up, keeping people on and paying them the full craftsman rate, then he's only being rational, and he would be foolish not to do that. And it's up to the policymakers to try and alter the incentives that this man faces, just as it's up to them to alter the incentives that the unemployed man faces. We know now from the pronouncements that are coming thick and fast that the time of reckoning is drawing near in the next budget. It's going to be much less uh, stimulatory than the previous budget was, and this may be precisely the time when stimulus is needed. So that if I can comment on, on policy making, uh, macroeconomic policy making, I think it's been mistimed in, in the last year and particularly we're facing a period of stringency, of budgetary cutback when the economy and the unemployed need continuing stimulus and perhaps more stimulus than occurred in the previous year. Obviously the present tightening of credit will have a dampening effect on the very important sector of building and construction where unemployment is a particularly serious problem. And for those um, unemployed in this sector, the prospects are obviously not improving at the moment. They're probably getting worse. So on the whole, next year, a great deal of uncertainty about the prospects of, unemployed, of the unemployed. We now appear to be facing a period of rising unemployment. This is unfortunate because of the total number being out of work is in the region of 100,000. Very, very high. And we have this unfortunate tendency in, in many economies that after a recession, is a, a, left in the wake of a recession, is a very large number of people who've been out of work for a long period of time. And their job prospects are poor, because the longer one is out of work, obviously the harder it becomes to get another job. Three years of loneliness, that's just what I've been through. When I left school, I joined my mates, and we all joined the queue. At first, it wasn't really bad. We got along together. But after three years job hunting, it feels like heavy weather. So let's make it your kind of country. Get out there and vote and show them that you're free. Yo
because they pay out welfare that they've got it made the politics of hardship is a cruel and heartless trade i'm sick and tired of all their chat their answers don't ring true the dole and unemployment are not for me and you And just statistics in black official ink. We've got our pride and feelings. They're stronger than you think. We need the kind of country where we can make our way. That's why I'm voting for a change on this election day. So let's make it your You win. 